You're listening to Punk Theology. My name is Russ Shaw, your host, and today on the podcast, I am excited to introduce you to an interruption in my life in the form of a man named Dan Hazen. At this point in my life, from the outside, things looked pretty good. If you were to evaluate me, my family, my life from this exterior persona of who I was, I, you know, I had over a decade worth of sobriety from some pretty nasty chemical romances like methamphetamine, crack cocaine, drinking myself unconscious. Married to my beautiful and first and only wife, we owned our own home, had a couple of cars, had a good steady income as a self-employed sales guy, but on the inside, underneath my dissonance around my value, my relationship with God, theology, psychology, philosophy... I had some big gaping holes when it came to understanding my significance and my maturity. With all this pent-up anger inside me, I started to feel those cold steel bars of this silent rage going on on the inside. This is about the time my business started to suffer from the stresses and fractures of living a double life. And if you were to put a stethoscope somewhere on my soul, it might sound something like this. Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. And someone will say what is lost and never will say. Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a And the last thing I was looking for at the time was a religious professional. Dan Hazen is a pastor of a place called Allen Creek Church in Marysville, Washington. And if you think about where I was at at the time, I couldn't afford a psychological professional. All right. I looked into that even. Yes, I did. And it was just not in the cards for me to pay 170 250 an hour for someone to assess my mental health and well-being at the time. It was 2003 and there was no Obamacare, all right? There was no mental health uh, coverage for someone like myself. So I sat in Dan's office, yeah, with a chip on my shoulder towards religion and very kind of abrasive and defensive even. But somewhere on the inside, there was this little kid in me who was going, Can you help me? Can you please help me? So that's where I was at. My wife, my family paid a, a price for my, you know, dysfunction and lack of healing and getting help for that little kid in there. It so wasn't fair to my kids when life was new to them. It so wasn't fair to my wife. Dan gave me this book uh, called Ragamuffin Gospel. And yeah, if there was a snapshot you could take of my soul at the time, it would have looked like a ragamuffin doll with quick fix stitches and repairs and tape holding the stuffing in at the time. But this guy... In his position, at this time in my life, this man changed my life. And uh, you'll hear about that in this episode. I'm not going to give away too much anymore. But to say that uh, the the childlike spirit in me was crying for help because the ego was so incredibly out of control thinking that it knew the best way to survive. It just came to the point where, yeah, something must break. 
I think people get panicky because they it's the slippery slope. Well, if you say you can't know this, then how can you know anything? Well, right. that doesn't that's not sequitur. That doesn't follow. There are some things that can be known, and there are things that cannot. Right. And we've got to wander our 80 or so years um, trying to sort out those two lists. Yeah. Which goes into which list. And guess what? Sometimes things have to move from one list to the other. And, and just picking it up and putting it down because, well, why? Why do we feel we need to show up every Sunday and stare at the back of somebody else's head while Rick gets up there or I get up there and teach? <laughs> do a speech. Because we always speech. do it, because we've always done it, because okay. that's what keeps that's what keeps the money flowing. Well, it's a good reminder for us to like, no, no, this is bigger than, than just the keeping show. the show and keeping the, the Dan machine, show or the, the Rick da, show. The Dan or the Rick show yeah. or the whatever show. And uh, it's 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 not a machine. Yeah. Um, somebody, I can't remember who to give credit to, um, laid out the process of how the church has changed over the eons. And it went from man to movement to machine to monument. Yeah, so I guess I think about it this way. When, I, when I'm dealing with people in recovery, especially early stages in recovery, and I think about my own, yeah. is I, I, I just remember the point when I realized my purpose in life is not sobriety. That's not why I'm here. That's not the end of my story. That's the beginning of my story. Yeah. And so thank God for the 12 steps. And thank God for Shik Shadal. And, and, and whatever program gets you to the behavioral place where you're not going to die. Yeah. Thank God for that. Now, let's get busy. Now let's talk about who you are and who God is. Let's talk about the wound. Let's talk about what, how did you get there? Yeah. Right? Because everybody's recovering from something. Theology, welcome, my friend. Thank you, my friend. It's uh, it's good to have you on. You and I have an interesting relationship because you. I'll explain a little bit of how I know Dan here. Um, I wanted to ask uh, a day in the life of, of Dan Hazen a little bit. There, mm. you have a different prayer life. Your spirituality. You were talking about earlier how you're a little more orthodox, maybe in your theology. But not in the uh, bells and smells part, right? Right. Yeah. To, to yeah, I would like to. I would like to think it's orthodox in terms of historic biblical Christianity, not in terms of the Orthodox Church. Right. Um, though, though I have love and respect, and and uh, people I love who are part of that, uh, and that's awesome. Um, I I uh, became uh, aware of the Celtic stream of the Christian faith yeah. uh, probably almost 10 years ago now. And long, bumbling story that's actually very interesting and I won't bore you with now. But um, so I, I found my way to uh, an organization called the Northumbria Community, which is based in Northeast England and uh, Northumberland. And uh, it's a what's called a neo-monastic community. 
Okay. So that's new monasticism. And so the idea is that, that we can take the transferable principles of the life of a monk and translate them to modern life. Right. And we can still live a life that is based on a vow. So I live by a vow as a member of the community. Um, you know, the old Benedictine vow was um, chastity, uh, poverty, and obedience uh-huh. for a lifetime. The vow I live now is availability and vulnerability uh-huh. uh, to God and to my fellow man. Right. And, and it's an annual vow, so it's not a lifetime thing. Every year at Easter, we kind of reevaluate. Do we want to continue to live by this? And there's a daily set of offices, prayers that are... Um, it has a very Anglican flavor to it because it's the, the community is based in England. Right. It, but it doesn't belong to any denomination. It's not a church. It's right. a monastic movement. It doesn't sound very Protestant, dude. It's not. It's, it, well, in one way, it's super Protestant. <laughs> right. It's even Protestant to the Protestants because they're Anglicans, right? Right, so, right, yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, not, it's not very evangelical. Mm. It's, it's got much more of a liturgical flavor to it. <clears throat> um, a more high church kind of feel to it. So there are four offices each day. There's a morning, midday, uh, evening, and a Compline office. And um, we do our best as companions. That's the term we use, as companions in the community. We're committed to using those offices and to using them as a rhythm to make prayer the centerpiece of our life. And so I rarely get to all four offices in a day. Mm-hmm. And that's it's okay. It's not a big, that's not the point, yeah. right? It's not the point. And it isn't for everybody. In fact, for people who are exploring it, um, you can um, uh, go to a community weekend at the Mother House in, in England. And, and uh, you know, for a weekend, I'll kind of talk about the ethos of the community and whatnot. And one of the questions they will pose to people is, look, coming and visiting us, it may be a vacation or a vocation. Mm. You may find that for a couple of days, coming and living the rhythm of prayer and solitude and silence are a very important part of the monastic tradition. You may find that, that God has brought you here for a weekend. Awesome. God bless you. Go on your way. Right. It's a vacation. For some of us, we found this speaks to us deeply, and we walk with it for much longer. Now, I don't know that I'll do it for my whole life. Right now, I think God's got me here. And um, we were talking about it earlier. I built a, a pustinia at my house, which is a it's, um, Russian for desert. And it's a tradition even in the Celtic Celtic uh, church to build a, a place of solitary prayer. And so I will use that on a regular basis to go and usually my morning office, I'll go out and say my morning office there. Uh, but I'll, other times to go out and read and study. That's, right. that's a purpose-built place. And then we, we uh, community is a big part of it. So it's a dispersed community around the globe. Um, when we've been back to, to visit the mother house, which we've had... Uh, chance to be back there three times we get to meet other people from elsewhere in the world and communicate with them on the web and uh, i've got a fellow companion in spokane and um, this last year we met in vantage halfway between spokane and marysville um, on good friday where we restated our vows to the community and we got to be together and pray and so community is a big part of it and, uh-huh. Yeah, so um, so an average day for me, I'll usually get to uh, to two, maybe three of the offices a, a day, and uh, try to structure my day around that. And then the, the big thing is the vow to be available to God mm-hmm. and to my fellow man, and then to live out vulnerability in that intentional vulnerability, which right. is the tricky part. So that that God, that spirit that you're you're open to, um, describe that a little bit. Like, how would you define? God in those terms in that in that office so to speak try one more time so I guess when you say your your devotion to God like your devotion to to be available to to be available to God is that mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. maybe thinking outside the spirit or outside of your own yeah I think or or what you know the new agers might call the third eye right sure sure mindfulness is what our Buddhist friends might refer to it yeah yeah Um, and I think that's a great word um so I think, I think uh, in, in terms of availability, there's a couple of ways that we do that. You're available by being teachable. Right. So teachability. So to be available to God may be to be available to you, Russ. You may teach me something, and that's being available. God may speak through you. So being teachable. Uh, the scriptures. Being available to God through the scriptures is intensely important. Mm-hmm. So all the offices are bathed in, in, in the scriptures. 
and I and and mindfulness um, uh, to be conscious of what God is asking of me in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest challenges I see in the life of Jesus is represented in John most potently, where he says explicitly, "I don't say anything the Father doesn't tell me to say, and I don't do anything I don't see Him doing." Mm-hmm. And could you? What did that result in? He was homeless. They hunted him down and murdered him (laughs) because he did that. So that's a challenge to be that available. So mindfulness, uh, the promptings of the spirit, our charismatic friends might really, you know, that availability, they may be the, we need to stop and pray right now. That would be an availability to the spirit, that sort of thing. Interesting. Dan? Thanks for uh, thanks for being on Punk Theology, man. Russ, thank you. You're one of my favorite punks. Thank you. <laughs> you as well. Punk pastor. Punk pastor Dan. Put that on your... like As soon as you title yourself that, it's no longer punk. It's no longer punk. Oh, the irony of it all. <laughs> right. Just so uh, I met you, and maybe you can re- reflect off of how you receive me as a, as a, as a guy who came here. I met you not wanting to go to church. <laughs> I remember that <laughs> at all. And my mom went here, and I'm going through a tough time in my marriage, and I couldn't afford a real counselor, <laughs> right? Yeah. My insurance wouldn't cover yeah. Yeah. mental health and stuff like that. So I find myself in your office, you know, basically with my life coming apart, just like, how do I... And it was weird. It was like, it wasn't like fix me or make me more healthy it was can you stop my family from falling apart or my life you know like just give me and then and i was even and i wasn't a real i wasn't a christian i believe at that time i don't know i was just i was in an agnostic a real agnostic place more of a a dark nihilistic sort of not not gnostic place and i was uh you know, but but don't give me this Jesus shit. Like, don't give me this this you know religious crap because I'm I'm kind of done. Just if you, there's like hoops I could jump through. Give me some steps. I think I, that was sort of my approach with you. You know, I'm trying to control how you're going to receive me, and you just you you guys just listened. You both and Rick just kind of listened to me, where other pastors like. Um, I won't mention names, but New Life Center, I think is their initials. <laughs> Just, like, I mean, and no offense against those guys. I'm sure there's some great people there. But they, they're, the, this guy, just the pastor that was just like, I mean, he looked like a deer caught in the headlights. Like, he had no idea what to say to me. Just right. just pray in the morning yeah. and read your read Bible, your Bible yeah. and, and things get better when that happens. Yeah. So there yeah. you go, Mr. Shaw. I'll, you know, if you want to come in and you want to come. So I'm like, I'm no, this guy has no clue. Like I haven't tried that all fucking ready. You right. Know, that kind <laughs> of right. Thing, right. Right. In my life. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe our relationship, how, how did you receive me? Is I mean, you probably dealt with a lot of messed up people like myself. And I think you're really, that's what I well, really I'm like one, about this place. I'm one of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you and I, that's another thing that surprised me about you. You and I are both from the recovery world. Mm-hmm. Both had, uh, you struggle with methamphetamine addiction as well. Yeah, I got 26 years clean and also um, child sexual assault. Yeah. You know. We both um, suffer from childhood yeah. sexual assault. So we've assault. got similar. We're survivors. We're survivors, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think, as I recall... Yeah, I, I saw a guy who was ready. I mean, there's it's 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 the reality of it, and frankly, it probably takes a little bit more of my internal resources to be patient with somebody who comes in and well, you were you were image keeping. You were not concerned at all, right? With how I perceived you, right? You know, which as a matter of fact, I would have felt even better if you judged me, because then I could judge you, <laughs> and you're judging of me. <laughs> and off we go. And I could have put you in your religious box, and I could have just scampered away from this place. There's and another. It, that said, "Mom, I told you, right? Yeah, exactly. A bunch of religious assholes. I don't want to exactly. have patience for me. Exactly. Or or look at my broken heart. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I as, as I recall, it's like, oh, okay. Here's the real guy, because you know, I mean, the real who isn't who isn't completely effed up. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, there are people that have their crap together, you know, what, 15% more. Yeah. <laughs> than the other They're functional. The, yeah, right? But yeah. every single one of us, we were just talking about, you know, kind of the spiritual season I'm going through. I'm surprised at how much this feels like the last spiritual season I went through, which was difficult, and the time before, it's still the same junk, right? It's still my ego. I still want to do stuff that's not good for me or good for my wife or good for people around me, but I still want to do it. Yeah. And well, how do I manage that? Maybe it isn't really wrong. And and then I do it, and right, it's the same stuff. <laughs> I'm the same guy I was when I was 14, right? Yeah. In so many ways. And, that, and so you go a level where all just... You know, kids trying to figure out. Yeah, and and at some point, you know, our behaviors count. They do, it matters, right? There's such a thing as morality, and it has its place. But then, you you know, you find that you start exploring what's under your morality. And and, and if, if you have a person, and you didn't strike me as this person, you didn't come in just saying, look, help me assess my morality. Yeah. It's like, here's my, here's my morality and where it got me. Mm-hmm. And it is a bad, bad place. Do you have anything to say to this? Mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, wow, we can, we can have a dialogue about yeah. that. If you want behavior management, you know, go to the Catholic Church. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I get or, yeah, and, and I... Actually, they're getting cooler every day. Thank mm. God for Pope Francis. I think he's awesome. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the um, behavior modification and behavior management, sin management, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of punk theology. I've listened to a few episodes. So I know that was, you know, when you talked about how to, how to deal with your shit, right? Was yeah. Yeah. a two-parter. Yeah, and, and the difference between sin management and the difference between trying to understand. Well, one of my heroes is St. Francis of Assisi. Right. Right? Yeah. And that guy, he wasn't, people think, oh, he was a priest. He wasn't a priest. Oh, he was a monk. He was not a monk. Yeah, they didn't have those kind of titles back then. Well, they may have, but he didn't, he didn't have them. He right. was just a dude following Jesus radically. That was it. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, mostly literate, but barely. Didn't own a Bible. Nobody owned a Bible. So his devotional life was two questions every day. God, who are you and who am I? Hmm. And... Okay, let's let's do that work. Let's do that work, and then behaviors and whatnot. You know, they, that flows from that place. Yeah. So you struck me as somebody who was ready to maybe have that kind of a dialogue, right? If the pain wasn't so present, that you know, because there's stuff that's outside of my pay grade, right? Oh yeah. You know that it's like, wow, man, I think maybe you need somebody that can kind of professionally walk you through you know and that's that's an assessment that somebody in my position has to make it's like i can't help you with this because we can't even talk about that stuff till maybe you get some healing on a psychological level and you know we can yeah. dance with that a little bit but you struck me as somebody's like okay here's pain mm-hmm. here's Russ with pain but he's ready he's he wants to talk yeah. and it was it was frankly refreshing if a little intimidating mm. yeah. well thanks man yeah it was refreshing i uh and, and you were refreshing as well because you weren't you weren't shocked by my behavior, um, and I didn't. I wasn't really honest with my behavior for another like eight, nine months about how really bad it was, and that was a whole nother, a whole nother ball of wax. That will. That's a whole nother show. That's <laughs> another episode <laughs> on, on theology. On theology. <laughs> um, but to 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 wrap up th- that kind of our our meeting and our relationship, um, I think that. What impressed me about both you and Rick was you were also challenging, like you would some, challenge some of my my bullshit or my ways of just kind of calling balls and strikes or maybe being real dualistic in my thinking, black and white towards oh. religion and and the Bible. Like I remember bringing the Bible into Rick's office and going, "Let me tell you how this is full of fairy tales and lies," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think for for me, when he finally he finally pulled me aside, I mean, he might have been a little frustrated. You know, as I would even kind of make a bit of a seat, like after church, and like coming, yeah. obviously, really sharp questions like that with people saying, anyway. But it's not that that intimidated, but what he did was he said, Russ, what if it starts here? And he pointed at my chest. And he goes, what if it starts in here? Because you keep thinking that it's something you have to stuff in from the outside. Right. Or you got fed the wrong stuff, and yeah. it's in here. This stuff that you learned was wrong, and it hurt you, so 
you know, you downloaded it and it's bad data. Yeah. No. He says, no, what if it starts on the inside and works its way out? Oh, yeah. Um, and that kind of blew my mind. I think that was the when the hamster finally got on the wheel with me <laughs> with this spiritual reality. That and having a counselor at the time, who I was paying for, I started seeing a counselor. It was 70 bucks a session, you know, out of my pocket. Christian counselor, not perfect. The guy had his... You know, not that anybody's perfect, but this guy told me to lie about um, the fact that I was an adulterer. You know, oh, take that to your grave because uh, that's selfish if you say anything about that. Right? So, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but what he did say that was good was to he encouraged me to read the Psalms. Like you're pissed off at God? Oh, let me show you. Yeah, yeah. Here's about, a guy. Here's a guy who knows where you've been. He's very similar. Yeah, yeah very emotional like yeah. yourself. And yeah, the man after God's own heart. Read one of these every day or whatever, and uh, and that was that was super helpful for me as well. Um, yeah, you know, I, I love a quote you talk about. You know, calling balls and strikes. I like that. Uh, that that you know, that's as I look back on it, that's something you gave permission for. Yeah, right. I, I mean, you, you said, okay, I'm willing to engage in this, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's one of those dances where it's like, okay, are are you sure? And so you you know, you push back a little bit and then see how you respond, and and a dance kind of happens and we found all right we're going to be honest with each other and that's exhilarating and terrifying right because you're going to cognitive dissonance you're going to have some of your presumptions challenged and you challenge some of mine it's like okay i gotta go back and and what here's my impulse i want to say this to russ well why do i want to say that to russ all right and then i'm confronted with well i want to fix it well that's not my job well i want russ to be a you know a notch on my bible <laughs> look at this guy. What That's a, right. Look at the, what, a, look at a schmuck. I mean, holy yeah. cow, you know. So like I've heard Paul Young calls the, the Amway gospel, yeah. right? Yeah, you go. You got, got another one in my downline. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> my pyramid is growing. <laughs> yeah, so you got to check yeah. yourself with that. When somebody comes to you honestly and is willing to engage... Oh well, I guess I guess I better as well. Yeah, that's and, relationship without agenda. Yeah, and yes. In Christian circles, we're so good at. Yeah, it's almost subtle or unconscious. A lot of leaders, I think, mm-hmm. have a hard time with people like me and their approach. Like I can smell agenda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just give me, just give me a scent of that agenda, and I'm fucking out of here. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, over time with you with you guys. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So. I wanted to go into so this is a different kind of of church to call church. You guys doing what you do in my history with you is one of the reasons I still believe in church. Because sometimes I'll be honest, I look at the whole thing and go, you know, what if what we could just live? I think you even touched on this in a sermon a few weeks ago. What if we could just go out into the world and live this out without having to come here yeah. and do this every that would Sunday? Be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Would save a lot of money, <laughs> exactly. and a lot of resources, a lot of resources, and property. Yeah, exactly. It's rather not to vacuum the lobby floor on Sunday. <laughs> so. So, and I, I, I appreciate that so much that you, you would go there. Um, but at the same time, that's, you know, the, 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 the fact that it's here and that you, you're open to really messed up people and their situations and their hang-ups. Because that's what people bring. I mean, yeah. your job is not easy, you know, as a pastor in, a, in suburbia. Let's mention we're in Marysville, Washington. Yes. This is suburban America, USA. Yeah, fastest growing town and the fastest growing county and yeah. the fastest growing region. It's as Seattle expands yeah. and is pushed out yeah. past the the urban yeah. into the suburban, yeah. and it, I think it even gets tougher in a place like Marysville because in the city there's more to do. There's more bad to do too, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes that even pushes you to a place where, yeah. oh, it's so bad that I better you know go in this direction now. Yeah. But in a place like in suburban America, that there's so much. This is a weird time and place. Social rot. Yeah, almost. it's weird. Yeah, it is weird. So the fact that you guys do church differently, like you're doing, what I find interesting every year, you guys do what you're in now. It's August first, so you're not having church for a month. Yeah, we suspend regular church services for a month. Yeah. Right. Now, that's 
breaking some kind of systematic oh dude rule. it's, well, it's right? hilarious you know what really pisses me off is that is that louis giglio is copying us now but he only he's a piker he's a piker yeah his church who's, only takes who's Lily, i've heard the name but he's a he's a church leader down in atlanta i think yeah he's a big uh, christian evangelical yeah, speaker American. author yeah, you, yeah anybody in christian dumb as her yeah he's yeah he's part of the industry yeah yeah uh, i don't know him sure he's a great guy i've read a couple of little blurbs but anyway I just happened to see last year that they did this big innovative thing. They take two weeks off. Piker. Whatever. <laughs> We've been doing five, sometimes six weeks, depending on the calendar, um, for 20 years. Yeah, we call it the Pause for the Cause, and um, we take August off for regular church services for a number of different reasons. One, we're a very arts-oriented organization. So when we do church, when we do our, our liturgy, if you will, our service... You know, there's it's it's we try to do excellent music and a lot of it. We do drama, video, all kinds of creativity. So that's an all almost all volunteer group of people that pick it up and put it down every week. Right. We want to give them a break. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, let's be real. People don't go to church in August. The the, the sun's out and they're gone. Right. So okay. And we can also admit the New Testament model is not an hour on Sunday mornings. That is not what church is. That is a that is an affectation. It is a system. It's a form, and it's a perfectly fine form. There's nothing wrong with it. it but it's just a form. Yeah. But we that is not the ecclesia. The word gets translated sometimes to church is the Greek word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. It's our relationships. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's It's people. It's people. It's what you guys do. You and Derek and John and Arthur and all the other guys, can't remember his name, sitting around the table and doing that in the name of Jesus. That's... I don't know if it's in the name of Jesus. Well, it is for some of it. It's in the name of punk rock. It's in the name of... Don't call it a church or Arthur's going. Arthur's (laughs) going. Stay, Arthur. Do not go. Yeah, well, whatever. It's doing that together. It's a social construct. It is a construct. Uh, Sometimes I will will say God exists in the space between us. Mm. That's where it says in the Psalms, he occupies the praises of his people. So, So it's not... It's not what we do Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is, an, is a relatively effective way to accomplish many of the things the Ecclesia are called to do. But it's not all of it. So we remind people by saying, we're going to stop doing this, and we're going to start doing other stuff. And here's the things we tell them. We, well, we have a big church retreat. We go to a Bible camp over on Woodby Island for a weekend, and we have a ball, and we cast vision and, and kind of set the tone for the year, and we have a lot of fun there. Um, we tell go to other churches. Go visit other churches and see what they do and connect or with Or don't them. go to church. Or don't go to church. Because <laughs> no, like some people are addicted to church, Yeah, sleep right? in, dude. You know what? Just sleep in. Get up, make pancakes. And, you know, if you think about it, go outside and thank Jesus for the sunshine. I mean, exactly. Because you know, I think if you need it, there's something kind of weird about that. Yeah. Like you need to go to church every Sunday or else I feel less than... There's sort of an addictive nature to that. There, yeah, there certainly can be. Yeah, I, I, it's a real subtle thing, right? I mean, yeah. if there's desire, I, I'm a firm believer that part of the Christian journey is to, is to learn to live with desire. Yeah. Desire is a good thing. It's not yeah. something that should be extinguished or put aside. So if there's a desire to hear God's word, to be with your brothers and sisters, and to engage, that's a good thing to miss. And that's frankly, that's another reason why we want people to miss it. It's like at the end of this to say... Uh, you know what? Those knuckleheads at Allen Creek, hey, boy, I went to Bob's Baptist Church, and I like that better. Then we can go, hey, God bless you as you're going to Bob's. Yeah. You know, Or if you really missed it, then you're going to come back for the right reasons. Right. You know, it's kind of a, a self-selection process. So it's there's a, and, and I think on top of it, we see it as a way to honor the Sabbath principle, which is we're supposed to rest. Yeah. And, and just picking it up and putting it down because... Well, why? Why do we feel we need to show up every Sunday and stare at the back of somebody else's head while Rick gets up there or I get up there and teach? <laughs> yeah, do a speech. Because we always speech. do it, because we've always done it, because okay. that's what keeps that's what keeps the money flowing. Well, it's a good reminder for us to like, no, no, this is bigger than, than just the keeping show. the show and keeping the, the Dan mission, show or the, the Rick da- show. The Dan or the Rick show yeah. or the whatever show. And... Uh, it's 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 not a machine. Yeah. Um, somebody I can't remember who to give credit to um, laid out the process of how the church has changed over the eons, and it went from man to movement to machine to monument. 
And you can see that it, you know, it becomes, you know, that Christ is the center of it. Then, then a movement, and there's there's vitality and life and uh, improvisation and dependence on God. To a machine, all this now it's automatic. You push a button and it goes. To finally, it just grinds to a halt. Now it's just a thing. Yeah. And it's like, man, it, it becomes an institution, a yes. cold system, or yes, a system, yeah. and all these sorts of things. And so, anything we can do that keeps, and that's the the that's entropy. Mm-hmm. Right, that kind of describes a kind of entropy. Things slow down and become linear, and like gears moving, and then finally those things will lock up and stop. Right, and it becomes just this monolith. And anything we can do to keep that lubricated and keep it moving back towards movement, towards the man, um, then those are good things. And I think taking a month off, man, we were, I got to tell you, so when, when we it was 1998, and we were back at a big church conference in the Midwest, and and Rick. And Jonna, our senior pastor, and his wife, and me and Brenda were in a breakout session that uh, was titled something like "Ministering as a Couple," and it was this big conference, thousands of people at this thing. So we're in a you know one of these uh, banquet room, conference room things, you know, banquet tables with eight or ten people, and you've got your little name tags, and you're introducing how big's your church, right? All those conversations, right. nickels going and noses, nickels and noses, baby. <laughs> and so we're sitting there doing this, and and it's some pretty good content about hey, you know, when you're in ministry with your your marriage partner, here's some of the challenges. And it was kind of good to hear other people. Okay, I'm not crazy. They deal with the same stuff, right? And so the the you mean church is hard on a marriage? Apparently it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so the facility, there was like a hundred people in this room, right? So 50 couples or whatever. Uh-huh. And some of them from really big churches, some of us little startup churches. We probably had 50 people at the time. And um, uh, the, the facilitator teacher said, uh, so rest is really important was the point. You got to disengage. You have to rest. Sabbath. Right. What do you do as a family to rest? And Jonna, our, she's our creative team's director, right? So she's the artist, lead artist here, and, and Rick's wife. She shoots her hand up like a good second grader. Like, ooh, ooh, I've got something really exciting to share. This is her spirit with it. Right. And she just blurts out this whole thing about the pause. Well, we take August off, and we don't do church. I swear on my dead mother, I heard five people go, <laughs> The air left the room. These other church leaders, like, freaked. Wow. And you, I mean, literally, you could feel the room just... just just tensed up and the facilitator was doing his best he was like like he gave that look like oh what you're saying right now is scaring the <laughs> shit out of me but I'm going to smile and pretend like Rob Bell just walked in or something <laughs> oh my gosh and and so at the end of this he did a really good job of kind of reading the room and he made a joke out of it and he says the views expressed by participants here are not necessarily those of, right, yeah. you know So, but it was a good laugh and they moved right on but yeah it freaks people out mm. but it's good it's good that it freaks us out right keeps us sharp and on task yeah, yeah, and it's healthy. I think I it's think really so healthy. Um, so another part of my story is, is my wife and I, after I confessed all of my junk, that I was an adulterer. And so sexual addiction is in my past. Whatever buzzword you want to call it today, intimacy disorder, I think is the new one. Is that one? Yeah, I yeah. Really like sexual compulsive behavior. Yeah, but intimacy disorder, I think, intimacy fits disorder. this thing better Ooh. than a, a lot of things. So that was my my struggle when I came to you, and when I finally confessed all of that out, um, it was it was a bomb going off for my family. It was also a bomb going off here, because I had I was a I, I was a, a a leader, and it was under a little church discipline as well, because I had started kind of a men's group thing in my basement, and guys were coming over. You came over once, and and. Uh, <clears throat> And I, so, and I started the podcast talking about how I, you know, my I got free from porn. Mm-hmm. Well, it was worse than just porn. And and yeah, when I started the podcast, I had a good amount of time of recovery under my belt, but I had not told anyone about that the the real as dark as it was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was this ministry leader, so to speak, who who was, you know kind of shamed yeah right <clears throat> and I didn't you know I men's group kind of thing broke up we were going to another group my wife and I a marriage group mm-hmm. that you had set up that was another thing that you helped us with the, the marriage group when I met James and Celia and, and uh, some other folks um, 
but that thing busted apart there too, you know, because I, I, I really hurt a lot of people, Dan, when I was here. And I was willing to take my lumps and, and make amends to the people that I had hurt. And I, I did with some, some just walked away. Um, there was a few people here, not in leadership, that told my wife, hey, if, if you stay married to that guy, I'm not your friend anymore. Really? I mean, yeah. Um, those people aren't here anymore. But that was really hard on Dana and I. Um, I imagine. She quit coming here, and then I, I quit. We started going to Mars Hill. We were kind of double-dipping anyway, but part of it also was uh, location. Like, you're in Marysville. I live yeah. in Everett. This is about nine miles from my house. So we were bringing the kids every Sunday and all that. And, um but that was a big part of it too, and we so we started going to Mars Hill, and it's a big church, so it's easy to get like lost. <laughs> we were going to Ballard at first, and then Everett started a campus. There was a campus in Everett, and so then we started talking about our story in community groups. And Mars Hill had these community groups, and for a few of them were good, but you know the one that we settled in all of a sudden had a hey, don't talk about that here. You can talk about that with your counselor or whatever. Let's not talk about that here. Because we, we got into, we started getting into stuff like our sexual abuse. We were mm. both sexual abused, my wife and I. Mm. Um, the fact that I, our damage, the fact that I'm an ex, you know, addict mm. and a sex addict um, was really uncomfortable for them. So they just told us to shut up. And my wife was out mm. at that point. She just said, no, these Christian folks are not going to understand our story. You know, I'm out. And I can't say that I blame her, you know. So that's where we, well, that's how we landed at Mars Hill. And then that thing coming apart yeah. was was ugly. And part of the reason I'm back here as a church is how you guys handled the situation with my mom, you mm-hmm. know. And my mom passing away and Rick talking about how he's going to, you know, speak and all this stuff. And I'm like, Rick... I don't have any money. Like, I don't know. We're a dad. You know, Ron is like, Ron's freaking broke. And I, don't, I don't know how to help you. I, like, I don't, I can't, I can't pay you for this. And Rick just looked at me and said, dude, your mom is part of this family. You know, I'm getting a little emotional talking about it. But that's what church is to me. It's family, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Mars Hill had families. There's some of the guys that are in the punk theology. Uh, the punk theology guys are, are guys that started in that kind of family. Yeah. It's interesting how that thing kind of exploded, like the Big Bang or something. <laughs> it was all these different social groups just spread out into different yeah. areas, and how we're we're still friends, you know, some of us. And yeah, well, we, there there family. there are other Mars Hill Folks refugees, here. as I call them, that are at EC3, and I know there are other churches too. So yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, uh, you know, I don't want to t- take you off track or anything, but man, I'm sorry that that anybody said those kinds of things to you. That was yeah. that was off base. And it's not your fault. I know. I'm just people, sorry that it it's happened. It's not like oh, yeah. AC3, those people are idiots. Like yeah. that's not why we we laughed. No, I know. I get it. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. I'm just sorry. You know, it's like I tell people, like, well, I've been hurt by churches. Can I come here? I'm like, oh yeah. We are going to hurt again, you know, because there's a bunch of dumb shits here too. You know, just I'm one of them. You know, it'll pro- I'm probably going to be first in. A- it's going to be like that scene in Airplane where the woman's panicking. Yeah, <laughs> just like slap, calm down, slap. I'm going to be the guy with the pipe. You know, I'm going to be in line at some point and do yeah. this to you. You know. Because that's that's what that's what family does, Russ. (laughs) But what's different about what you do here is you're willing to admit that you're struggling as well, and that you're not a certainty addict. That's something I didn't get at Mars Hill. But Mars Hill was very, um, like here's here's how God works itself. Like you know, you want to be in leadership at Mars Hill Church, you had to read Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem because Wayne Grudem knows God. And I think that was one thing different that always brought me back here, too, is that I remember Rick standing on stage and going, God is unknowable. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not supposed to Christians say Christians don't you're normally talk like that. that. That does not keep the nickels and noses in the right. <laughs> it does not work out on the Excel spreadsheet. That's right. Yes, but that's honest. That's true. Well, that's I think mystic. I think it's also bit. Yeah. It's biblical. I think it's biblical <laughs> to use that word. Right. Yeah. Oh, man, that <laughs> word. Um 
but that's yeah it's it's getting to that place where you're willing to as as paul said in the bible right uh, uh your flaws are in the light yeah i'm gonna keep my flaws in the light yeah that doesn't also that also isn't good for nicholas and noses today it's in not. christian culture it's not. unfortunately though though i wonder what what do you think i mean i i think think punk theology for example mm-hmm. uh, i know bad religion is another podcast yeah. right um uh, just, just the the tone of I think. Um, authors... Bad religion is a punk band. I think you were thinking of bad Christian. Bad Christian, sorry. Yeah. Bad religion. And then losing our religion is another one. Uh, yeah. An ex pastor right. from uh, Casey Street Church. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's, there's. It seems like the conversation is turning. Yeah. And uh, that you know, I know we've been talking about it here for a while. Um, you know, is there? Is there another kind of reformation underway? Mm-hmm. And what Rick, our senior pastor, would say is the church isn't always in need of reformation, right. constant reformation, because of that unknowability. It's that it's we, you know, I, I love the Celtic stream of yeah, the too. Christian faith, you know, for yeah. a lot of different John reasons. John Philip Newell, <laughs> he's an interesting cat. He's, he's, he's great David guy. Adams. And, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, they, uh, in the Celtic tradition, they refer to the Holy Spirit as the wild goose. The yeah. wild goose is a symbol for the Holy Spirit because it's unpredictable. Yeah. Which is also biblical. The wind will blow and you don't know what direction it's coming from. And so so if we can be honest about that, and I, I like that phrase. Can I steal it? The certainty addict? Yeah. Oh, That's, yeah. Can I steal that? There's a book called uh, The Sin of Certainty, which is a pretty good read. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I, have to look at I think we gotta, we've got we've to be honest about that. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. say... You know, there's things that we can. There, there are things we can know. That's the problem, right? I think people get panicky because they. It's the slippery slope. Well, if you say you can't know this, then how can you know anything? Well, right. that doesn't. It's non sequitur. That doesn't follow. There are some things that can be known, and there are things that cannot. Right. And we've got to wander our eighty or so years, um, trying to sort out those two lists. Yeah. Which goes into which list? And guess what? Sometimes things have to move from one list to the other. Yeah. And it's okay. And I think peace is found in that movement. And that's where I think that we're getting into places of breaking the habit of dualistic thinking. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're, we're a very dualistic culture. Yeah. You know, everything's black and white, yep. balls and strikes, you know. Yep. And Richard Rohrs does a lot of good writing on this, mm-hmm. is, is to think of the, the three instead of just the two. Yeah. Because there's the relationship, you know, Father, Son, Spirit. There's a reason there's a trinity. Yes. It's funny, everybody calls Richard Rohr like a, a universalist, but then he keeps talking about Jesus and the trinity. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, I believe, and I would fall into that, I believe in a universal love. Do I believe all paths lead to God? No. I, I could think that's silly. But what, what are we talking about? Who's God? And that's the question that people keep asking. That's why people come in your door after they've been hurt by other churches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They'll all often, you know, in in some kind of a setting with a a couple or an individual in a counseling or teaching setting, got a whiteboard, and I will almost, whatever the issue is, I can step up to the whiteboard and draw a line, a continuum. And okay, here's where this is, and here's where this other thing is. And you guys are stuck on this line. What if there's a third way? Yeah. And I'll draw a point up there that creates a triangle. Yeah. What if this isn't the question? Yeah. It's like, well, who does the dishes? Who doesn't do the dishes? And I mean, how many marriages, that's where it starts, right? Yeah. Or, you know, it's like, this is wrong. No, that's right. And well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe you're not asking the right question. There's always a third way. There's yeah. always a third way. That's what we're doing with punk theology, is asking different questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Let's stop being, this is my tribe, and that's yours, and we're, yeah. You know, you see these talking head shows, and people just go round and round. I've talked about that before, but I wanted to ask you about, uh, maybe get into some of the genesis of how AC3, Allen Creek Community Church here in Marysville, started, because it's a, it's a bit controversial. So you started, um, maybe tell that story. Sure. Because... You think of punk theology and people have been hurt by church. You guys are birthed out of a, a, a church situation, a church kind of split sort of thing that happened. Kind of, yeah. Right? It was certainly out of heartache. It was yeah. certainly out of a, 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 a hardship. So there was a church up in uh, Smoky Point that um, several, that's where, where Brenda and I attended at the time. And we had been attending there maybe a year. Uh-huh. And I was, we walked in the door with an enormous chip on our shoulder. Well, me, Brenda, not so much. Okay. But I was not a Christian. 
I had I'd had an experience with Jesus back when I was a eighteen, and some other time I'll tell you that whole story. But left the church, double bones all the way, right. just giving God the finger for seven years. That's when I got into drugs and all kinds of other stuff. All that started to sort out. We started asking questions again, and we found this church that kind of advertised, "We'll deal with your questions." Mm. Bring your questions, we'll we'll answer them, and we'll accept you. And they did. I'm a long-haired drummer, and they said, hey, you want to play? Yeah! So I got to play, and people were cool, and answered my questions, and we were there for about a year, and kind of started to get my Jesus on it. And right about then, we showed up for um, church one Sunday, and everything was different, and what's going on? And, uh, and there wasn't anything up on stage, and there was just a piano down on the floor and sang a song or two and I don't even remember now who came out and told us um our senior pastor has resigned because he's been uh, involved in an adulterous affair with the wife of one of the elders wow. and I just man the bottom dropped out from right it. I remember sitting not the wind out of you yeah I mean because oh my gosh I, because it had been a crappy church experience that had led me to leave in the first place so like seven or eight years prior so i'm literally we're in the back row with my back against the wall in this church and it just feels like boom and um and i just had this very strong sense within seconds of that god said just calm down i got this and he said something like you're not here for them you're here for me hmm. so just calm down let's watch and so what ensued over the the next little while was Brenda and I inexplicably got kind of a front row seat to watching this senior pastor and his wife try to save their marriage and put it back together with the help of the denomination, which stepped right in and provided resources and help. Many people from the church who rallied to them and said, okay, you know, the truth is out. The right. bomb went off. Yeah. Now let's try and put you back together. And uh, we got kind of a front row seat to that. We got... Just I don't really know how. I, I think it's was was probably divine providence to watch how God's love really worked in that case. Right. And, and it was a slow, brutal process. And uh, but now it's been twenty two years, and they're have so. To how did they? How did they play this out? I mean, they kind of openly talked about how they're willing to trust each other and and stuff like the couple? that. Like yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was it was knockdown, drag out, tears and snot on the living room floor as there was confession. Right. And so you were like a community group kind of a yeah, situation it was a small watching group this of go about down. Six okay. or eight of us watching wow. this happen, and then they'd go off. He's and, probably removed from leadership, of course. Oh, right? yeah. He no money he, coming in, or what? He had to get a job, or uh, he did have to get a job within a period of time. There was kind of a severance. Right. They 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 made it. They didn't like just. Pound him with right, like right. a punishment. Like you're out. And a lot of churches do that. They well, in fact, that was why we ended up leaving. In part, was over that next year, there was a a, a big fight about whether that should be done. They need the, people wanted criminal charges brought against him for spiritual abuse, which I don't think they understood. I don't think that's an RCW, right? But <laughs> they they wanted like they wanted. Blood. A pound of flesh. They, yeah, oh, yeah, somebody yeah. needed to pay, mm -hmm. and so there was a, a significant number of people who felt that. And now there were a variety of ways in which they felt that should have been meted out. But the point was, he needs to pay. And um, you know, I'm kind of sitting back, just getting my Jesus on, and I'm reading my New Testament, and I'm looking at the people around which I trust, and I don't see a case for that right. for somebody who's penitent. I'm, I'm this is Luke 15, and I see. The, the younger brother returning to the father here right. and being honest. And this is the point. So to which he's making amends. He is. Right. And I'm, I'm looking at Galatians 6 1, and he was caught in sin, should be restored gently. And so I, and I'm seeing a, people, a group of people rally around him and do that. And then I'm seeing a group of people kind of coming to the, the castle with pitchforks and torches. Right, right. And, and, and we're kind of in the middle of watching this happen, though there was never really any question on our part about how we're going to behave. This is how we're going to behave. But but this is our family. Yeah. Right? So there was about a year there where the, the church really struggled with what to do. One of the things that happened in that power vacuum, he was a very charismatic, he was a, a in, in a Mark Driscoll-esque sense, mm -hmm. right? Um, his theology would have been different and whatnot. But he was the guy. Right. He was, he was the, the guy. The, the 
cult of personality. There you go. There was some of that going on. So in his absence, there was a vacuum. And um, the leadership at that time felt like, wow, we've really been shaken. And I think we're probably a church of maybe about seven, eight hundred, maybe up to a thousand people. So there were a lot of people affected by it. They said, we, we need to kind of circle the wagons and, and figure out how to heal, right. which I think is true to some extent. But what they did is they said, this whole program we were doing of reaching out to outsiders like Hazen, nobody said that, but that's, <laughs> right. this is what I hear, right? All right. Um, we need to stop that. And in fact, it was said pretty out loud. That's how kind of the sin got in the camp because oh, we were doing wow. that. Because you're bringing those people We were letting in. those long hairs in. Yeah. Right? And um, so there was some of that. And But to be fair, some of it was just... These were shepherds, and they had a scattered flock of sheep, and they were struggling to try to figure out how to handle it. Right. And um, so they said, we're just going to kind of go back to a model, kind of a traditional evangelical model. And so Brenda and I, we, we stuck around. We, we watched. We tried to think. We talked to leadership. They talked to us. We prayed. To, we, we tried to sort it out. And finally, at the end of the day, what it came down to was they were making a change in their vision where they weren't focused on reaching people outside the gospel. I see. Like they were, and, but, Let's preach to the choir. That's safer. I, yeah, probably. <laughs> I think there was a lot of that going on. Right. Um, and, I but, laugh. It's sad. I should be. But, but it's, I see it. I, we see it. I mean, it's... We, we do. And, and, and I think also, to be fair to them, too, they, you know, they were bloodied and trying to figure out how to... And rock yeah. back on their heels and trying to do their best. But we just felt like we want to be part of something that's moving outward. That's yeah. reaching out into the world. That's not what we would say in the, the Celtic tradition, a church without walls. And I wouldn't have put it in those terms at the time. But um, this was 1994, 1993, 94. And so there was another, there were, there were several, all these different um, groups, family groups, who trying to deal with this. And a couple of them actually left the church at that point over. They said, we just feel like you've mishandled this. We're out. Right. And especially when they found out we're not going to reach outsiders anymore, they started shopping around to try to find another church in Snohomish County that was doing it. They couldn't find another right. church at all that was doing it. So they kind of sat down and they, they said, well, I guess we're going to have to start one. So that was um, uh, the, the Getty family and the Holland family. And okay. They, uh, they said, we want to start a church that's going to reach lost people. It modeled largely after Willow Creek Community Church back in Chicago yeah. area. And uh, so they did all the paperwork, and they reached out to Rick Thiessen, who was the youth pastor at this church, Smoky Point, up in uh, Smoky Point. And uh, I said, hey, would you come and be the pastor of this? Because Rick and John were in the same, you know, right. puddle, trying to sort this stuff out. And they were looking at the same thing, like, wow, we really feel compelled to reaching people outside the church and you know they kicked it around and prayed and thought and they go yeah so they sold their house and moved in with john's parents and we paid them seven thousand dollars a year wow i think for a while and they brought their little kids and mm-hmm. and we all said there were by the time it was all said and done it wasn't a recruiting process it was very organic all right <laughs> uh, that about 15 people kind of coalesced right. and said let's start this thing mm-hmm. and uh, so that's um, and we we actually received um, some guidance from that pastor who had had quit up there. He's he has a, a, a I think at the time he had a master's in leadership organization and whatnot, and he kind of helped walk us through with a flip chart how do you organize this thing. And and by the way, he and his wife are doing great. They're grandparents now and been put it all back together and still serving God up in Canada, his home wow. country. Yeah. And so um, that's the story of how this place. That's how we got started. Birthed out of pain and yeah it was a mess man it was it was ugly uh, social social distress yes <laughs> in, in the in the system um because that's you know again that's why i'm here as well is you're not afraid of people like myself at least not for the reasons most people are yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um Jesus and loving the neighbors, and that's a different, like you were saying about the church wanting to, just kind of seeing the system wanting to just support itself, or it's like masturbatory on a social level, right? Mm-hmm. Just let's we let, we're doing this thing for Christians. We just would like Christians here. Yeah, but that's not that's nothing like 
what I mean, Jesus was radical in that sense. That's not why we're here. Jesus was killed by the social structure That's of right. the institution, we religious institution. We actually had a guy who 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 lied to us in the early years. It was ninety nine because we just moved into this building that we're in, and he'd been coming to church here at AC three for a couple of weeks. And I happened to run into him after that period of time, and he started asking questions. And what finally came out is he said, well, I've got to be completely honest with you. I attend another church in town, but we heard about what you were doing here, and I've been here observing. And I'm like, are you serious? You're a spy? (laughs) You know? And and he said, well, we have some real concerns because you've you've portrayed R-rated movies on stage, uh, all this other stuff. And he just started going, and I didn't know if I wanted to punch him in the neck or (laughs) pray for him or what. But finally, you know, I didn't punch him. But but he said, you know, well, we're just really concerned. You know, the other churches in town are concerned about what you're doing. And we said, well, we're not here for you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We're not here for you. God love the other churches, but we're not here for you. We're not in competition with you. Yeah. And why do you have to be a troll? He's like a, <laughs> like a physical troll. Not I like know. A troll on now, the internet. I know. I don't think that was a thing in 99. But, right. but yeah, he was... Seriously? This is... Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, and that's what's controversial about you guys, too, is that seeker movement. Mm. I remember Driscoll would stand up on stage and go, oh, I'm a seeker. So, you know, and he would kind of poke fun. And a lot of evangelicals still do. Yeah. You it's, know. it's not considered by most to be a legitimate form. Yeah. And I'm starting to view seeker as more of a, a place of consciousness. Like, if you're honest, everybody's everyone's a seeker. A seeker. Everybody's a seeker. Yeah. I'm a seeker. Because to say you're not is kind of to say, hey, I got this. I've got it surrounded. Yeah. And wow. Jesus Jesus has something to say to you. I'm not here for you, though. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Hey, good luck with that. I'm going to go with Russ and Hazen, who are sitting over the corner, <laughs> drooling and trying to figure it out. You know, yeah. He's here for me. Cause There's I'm, that scene with the Pharisees where Jesus is... You know, one of the Pharisees walks up and is like, you know, oh, you're going to, you know, overturn, you're going to be the new king, huh? Like, I would like to see, you know, a lot of these sinners, you know, all this stuff cleaned up. And uh, he's just looking at them going, you know, probably start with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's, yeah, and those are the cats that that crucified him. You know what, I finally, and that was another thing that you guys encouraged me to do too, is read the Bible for myself. Yeah, yeah. And not through the lens of some teacher from the past who skewed it for me. And there's a lot of that today. We like to take bits and bites out of the Bible. and mm-hmm. It'd be like taking a scene from the movie Star Wars and just playing the part where, you know, father, right? Oh, it's a father and son movie. That's what it's about. <laughs> oh, look, it's a road flick. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, and you guys encouraged me to, and I finally went, oh, like the religious institutional elites are kind of the villains of the story. And Jesus also had compassion for them, too. Yeah. I forget what it was. John uh, 7 or 17 or one of those where he's just like like kind of pleading with the Pharisees to open their eyes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he had the harshest words for them, too. He wasn't super gentle with them. Not at all. Like your whitewashed tombs, your... Vipers. Vipers. Oh. Uh, your brood of vipers. Hey, the outside of the cup is shiny clean. The inside is... You know, why don't we restructure our church to just go after the safe people? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about is is how broken it gets. I mean, you guys have had drug addicts in here. Uh, your brother who was uh, on the streets for a while, right? I don't know. I'm mentioning your brother. Is that safe to bring up publicly? Yeah. yeah. How's he How's he doing? Um, he is uh, struggling right now uh, with some health issues. Mm-hmm. He's uh, currently safe. Uh, but, you know, he's he's lived a hard life. Yeah. And those things are catching up with him. So he's... Is he... Approaching kind of of a sobriety place, or oh, he's been sober for he's been sober for over twenty years. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, but he he wrote, he rode hard and put away wet. Right. <clears throat> so he's he's dealing with the consequences of even after twenty years of sobriety. But he's he's what I would um, he's what I would say is a dry drunk. Mm. So he's never he's never actually dealt with what's behind his addiction. Yeah. He's he's engaged in behavior modification. He has. 
Ironically, though he would never be accepted inside a church, and he would never step foot in one, he is uh, of very much the same, cut from the same cloth as a lot of church people are, in that he, he doesn't do the things he's not supposed to do anymore. Yeah, yeah. So they've I got that in, in common. In recovery, too. Like, it seems that... I'm, I'm going to this this group. Uh, Chuck and I are, are going now to this group in Everett, which is a, a place where... Uh, it's a group for men who are survivors of childhood sexual assault. And a, a therapist there is like... Her approach is to deal with the wound rather than label you. Because a lot of times you'll go to a mental health professional and they just, oh, you're PTSD. Here's the I'm letters PTSD, we're going to put after you. ADD, and, you know, <laughs> all these different things. Right. And she said, that's another thing that my friend Scott said. He's like, if you're not, you know, labeled PTSD, you know, there's something wrong. <laughs> like you just have it. There's something going on with <laughs> right. you. Right, right. So that's not the primal thing that's going on. It's, it's, it's the wound. So let's treat the wound. Uh, and that's controversial in the fact, and my approach on the other podcast where I talk about addiction uh, is <sighs> Schick Shadel, for example, is a company, I'll mention their name. I'm not, they do a great job of getting people sober. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'll give them props for that. Well, yeah. There's people that go in there, they come out, they don't drink anymore. And that sells. But um, not that they're, you know, cranking out dry drunks, to use those words. Um, there, you got to deal with that trauma. Yeah, so I guess I think about it this way: when I when I'm dealing with people in recovery, especially early stages in recovery, and I think about my own, yeah. is I, I I just remember the point when I realized my purpose in life is not sobriety. Yeah, that's not why I'm here. That's not the end of my story. That's the beginning of my story. Yeah, and so thank God for the twelve steps, and thank God for shik all. And, and and whatever program gets you to the behavioral place where you're not going to die. Yeah. Thank God for that. Now, let's get busy. Now let's talk about who you are and who God is. Let's talk about w- the wound. Let's talk about what, how did you get there? Yeah. Right? Because everybody's recovering from something. Yeah. Right? So that's that's the interesting stuff. Let's get into that relational circle, if I yes. mystical, very hard to explain. Hard, and it's a lifetime. It's a journey. It's a it's a joy and a nightmare, and it's all that stuff together. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, some folks and and uh, you know, some folks that I care very deeply for, for whatever reason, uh, are unwilling to to enter into that discussion. And and some of them have managed to modify their behavior, and that's that's good. Yeah. So in the case of this one, I have another brother who's also been sober for a long, long time, um, but he's he continues to press into the dialogue. He's seeking. He's like me, like you. He's a seeker, yeah. and he asks questions, and he's he's dealt with wounds, and we've dealt with wounds together, mm-hmm. uh, woundings that we've shared or imposed on each other, and our family. We've talked about it, and he's sought help, and it's a, it's almost a contrast these two. Two brothers of mine, and it comes down to: Are you willing to deal with that wound? I like the way you put that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so, for asking. So, yeah, man, you got uh, four weeks off. That's great. Yeah, got nothing to do. Just gonna sit. Here. I'm getting a getting one of those extra big tubs of triple action tide. <laughs> All right, we'll close with that. And uh, this is Russ and Dan. Thanks for listening. Out. Hazen, uh, I believe the world is a better place with uh, religious professionals like Dan in the world. Executive pastor of AC3 in Marysville, Washington. If you'd like to uh, get more information about Dan or AC3, go to ac3.org. Thanks for listening.